0: Last weekend, uh, Governor Dayton issued a decree that all the schools should be closed. And so we did what any good Minnesotan would do, and we headed north with our teenagers. We, uh, last weekend, we were up with our teenagers at Covenant Pines Camp, and it was a fantastic weekend. You know, I'd love to share all the details if we had time, but um, you just need to know that our teenagers, we can be so proud of them, For all the right reasons, and and the team that's leading them. They the way they represented themselves, the way they represented God, the way they represented our church, it was fantastic. The way that they were tuned in when we were trying to focus their attention, the way they went hard when it was time to go hard, they left that camp spotless. It was, it was fantastic on all levels. So way to go, teens. Way to go, team that led them there. It was a great, great weekend. I'm so pumped. I've got a fifth-grade daughter, and she's going to be coming up into the program. I'm pumped that she gets to hang out with you guys. I'm, I'm thrilled about that. Well, at, at our church, we try to be intentional about all the things that we do. We don't try to pick the coldest weekend to go north, but we, we, as best we can, we try to be intentional about the things we do. And so when it comes to the start of a new year, we try to pick a teaching series that helps us get off on the right start. On the right foot, and so we are going to start this year with a series that starts today called "Walking with God." You know what does it mean to actually do that? How, how do you go through your life with a conscious awareness of God's presence and His guidance? That's the type of thing we're going to press into now over the next couple of weeks. So we're going to launch that series right now, um, beginning with a book of the Bible that I don't know if I've ever specifically taught out of before I think I've referenced it I don't know if I've taught out of before but it's a book called Ecclesiastes it's found in your Bibles if you want to open up if you got your Bible here it's almost right in the middle of the Bible Uh, if you want to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12 let's go to the end of this book the last chapter towards the end Ecclesiastes chapter 12 we're gonna look at verses uh, verse 13 if you don't have a Bible, I want to let you know, too, on, the, on those tables that Nick talked about earlier, we've got a stack of Bibles there. They're for you. And I just got word again, we're running low on Bibles again. I love that we're running low on Bibles again, and I'm glad that you're taking them. They're, they're there for you. If you don't have a Bible at home, there's nothing to sign or anything like that. It's a gift to you. All right, here we go. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. So this is him now summarizing. The author is summarizing this, this teaching he's put out there. He said, okay, now all has been heard, And here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of humankind. Here it is. Here's my conclusion after everything I've just been teaching you. This is it. It boils down to this. Everything's been heard. Here's the conclusion. Fear God. Keep his commandments. That is your whole purpose for existing. That's it right there. this is a place where I hope you can be honest and I hope you can honestly assess that and go, really? Is that really something that I believe or is that just naive? Is that just simplistic? Is that just a carryover of old-fashioned thinking? Is that just a carryover of, of religious idealism? Or is there wisdom here? You know, be thinking about that as we talk through this and as we process this. Is this something that is true? Or is this something that is just naive? The passage itself is found in a section of the Bible that's classified as wisdom literature. So this is being presented as something that is wise. It's being presented in that category. It's also attributed, there's some controversy, but, but limited controversy, I would argue, of, of the author of this. It's many people attribute it to a wise king who is a real historical figure, a man named Solomon. He was a king of Israel 3,000 years ago during the peak of their power, the peak of their influence. And what he's saying, this man who is supposedly the wisest person to have ever lived, in a section of the Bible, it's called wisdom literature, he's saying, here you go when all's said and done. If you want to live life that's really life, it comes down to this. Fear God and keep his commandments. And so when they say fear God, what they mean by that is hold him in highest reverence. That's what they mean by that. Hold him in highest reverence. If you should be terrified, then be terrified. If you should be embracing him in love, then embrace him in love. But hold him in highest reverence. He's saying that's it. It comes down to that. Hold him in highest reverence. So what he says, do. You know, Follow his instructions. Follow his teaching. That's how a wise person will invest their one and only life. So here's a question we're going to wrestle with today in light of this teaching. And I'd encourage you to write this down in your notes inside your And your There's a note page. I'd encourage you to take it out and write this question down because this is really what we're going to wrestle with today as we kick off the series. Is Solomon's counsel wise or is it naive? Is it wise or is it naive? According to the Bible, it was interesting. I, was, I, I wasn't originally going to be looking here at Ecclesiastes, but it was, it was fascinating. I did a word search. on I went to a, just a tool. It's called BibleGateway.com. I plugged in the word walk. I plugged in the word God, and I saw what it spit out. And it was fascinating to see how many times when, you, when the Bible uses the word walk and it uses the word God, how many times it talks about obedience or faithfulness. Most of the time it does. Most of the time when it's talking about walking with God, it's, it's doing basically what Solomon's saying. Hey, you want to walk with God? Be faithful. Just trust him. Live according to his commands, his instructions. That's, that's basically what it says to do. And if that's the case... If you want to reflect and be honest and not just, okay, it's church time, so now I think churchy, but then I'm going to go back and live how I want to live. If, if, if instead of doing that, you want to try to be integrated and whole and, and try to be, okay, I'm going to try to put these two together, then think about your life and think about what he's saying and, and do you really live that out? And, and do you really agree with that, that following God's ways is the best way to go? You know, I, I would more than imagine, I, I, I think it's a safe bet to be able to say we all push back on that somewhere. You know, when when we look at what God says and then we think about what do we really think life is about? Where will we find joy? Where will we find peace? Are they the same thing? God lays out some very countercultural instructions regarding wealth and possessions, doesn't he? What God says about wealth and possessions is very different than the way most of us live and the way most of us think. You know, I'll be happier if I have more of this or if i spend it this way i'll be happier most of us kind of live in that way that's different than the way the bible instructs us the way god instructs us god lays out very restrictive instructions when it comes to romance when it comes to relationships do we really believe that his way is the best way are we really going to trust okay life is going to be found if i fear god have reverence for him and i follow his instructions The Bible is filled with counterintuitive and countercultural teachings on almost everything from revenge, to gossip, to forgiveness, to entertainment, to music, to priorities, to families, to so many things. Are we really going to take Solomon at face value here and say, you know what, life is ultimately going to be found, real life is ultimately going to be found if you fear God and keep his commandments. That's what he says. He says, ultimately, holding God in highest esteem, ordering your life around his commands, that's the wise way to go. Alright, so, put the question out there, now let's start digging into what he says, because this comes at the end of Ecclesiastes. He says, "All right, here's my conclusion. And he says that after he says a bunch of other things. So let's look at some of the other things that he says. um, And then you can form your conclusions. Alright, so let's go to the beginning of this. Chapter 1, verse 2, here's how he opens up this this, um, this whole teaching of his. He goes, here are the words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. He says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. What's meaningless? Everything. Everything's meaningless, he says. So if this was all, this is why we didn't start here. Because if, if this is all you knew of this guy, You're thinking, this guy is not the kind of guy you invite to your party, right? And I don't know if I want to listen to him because he sounds really cranky, you know? But this is how he starts it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. It's all meaningless. And here's the thing. He's not doing this for shock value. He's about to make an actual convincing case for this. Let's keep pressing in. We're going to jump ahead to verse 4. Look what he says. He says, generations of people come. Generations of people go. The earth remains forever. Basically saying, hey, your life is short deal with it, right? Solomon begins with something we can all observe for ourselves. Take a look around, he says. You think you're so great? You think the universe should revolve around you? Look at the stars. They've been around a long time. You're not going to be around, at least in human, bodily form, with the life that you know. Your mortal life is not going to be that long. Look at the seas. Look all around you. The rocks, the rivers. They've been around for thousands of years, millions of years. How about you? How long is your life for. I heard a preacher once say, he goes, your lawn is going to outlive you. Think about that. As much as we try to control, right? Those of us who have lawns, we try to control that thing, you know? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna look the way I want you to look. We'll be dead and our lawn will still be doing its thing. You know? It'll be doing its thing. That's how important we are, right? So in, throughout Ecclesiastes, Solomon, it's interesting, he uses this Hebrew phrase that's really hard to translate. Different different um, uh, Bibles will, will translate it differently in English, but some of them render it vanity. It, it could be loosely translated as vapor. He's like, everything is just vanity. It's this vapor. It's this, this temporary deal. And, and it's interesting with vapor. Did any of you guys try that, throw the boiling water in the air thing? Any injuries as a result of that? I almost burned Laura, but it was really cool. I'm glad I didn't. Um, it was great. You'd throw the boiling water, and when it's 15 below up into the, the sky, and it just turns into that vapor. It was pretty cool. But that's us. And that's what he would say. This is all the stuff people are chasing after. It's like that. It's all like that. Your life is like that. And the stuff you chape after is like that. It's fleeting. It's fleeting. But wanting to get the most out of his one and only life, he knows it's fleeting. He gets that. He says, look around. Okay, everything else is going to last a long time. I've got a little bit of time. I want to make the most of it. He says, okay, how am I going to do that? He tries to find meaning. He tries. And, and here's one of the ways he does. Let's continue picking up with the passage. Let's Jump ahead to verse 17. He goes, one of the things I tried, I tried, I want to find meaning, I want to to make my life count, so I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom. And this man arguably went further down the knowledge acquisition path than anyone who had gone before and anyone who's gone since. His wisdom was such that people literally came from all over the known world to hear him. His, the, 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 um, the wisdom that came forth from this man was worth traveling miles and miles and miles for. And that is not the same thing as Dennis Rodman going to North Korea at all. has nothing to do with that. Solomon's bris- brilliance was universally respected. Solomon, he encouraged people. He, he was a big fan of wisdom. Read the book of Proverbs. He, he's, a, he's a fan of wisdom, but... But, he says, at the end of the day, and this is his own words, right out of verse 18, right here. He says this. He says, with much wisdom comes what? Sorrow. With much wisdom comes sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. So, he's a huge fan of wisdom, but, he says, if you're looking for wisdom to fill some kind of void, if you're looking for all those extra letters after your name to, to make you find ultimate meaning... You know, if you're, if you're thinking that that's going to do it for you, good luck. There's value in learning, but it's not going to help you acquire peace. It's not going to help you acquire security. It's not going to help you acquire hope or joy or those deep things that your soul longs for. So there's chapter 1. Now, here's chapter 2. And if you are not familiar with the Bible, I'm just going to be reading some of this to you because if I tried to summarize it for you, you'd say, no, that's not in the Bible. You'd be thinking, no way. A king of Israel, he did this. Really? No, it's in there. This is what it says. Let's just read it. These are these are the words. If you open up your Bible, this is how it'll read. Just slightly different translations. This is how the NIV it says this. I said to myself, okay, because what he's going to do now, I mean, to, to set this up. What he's going to do now? He said, okay, I tried the wisdom thing. I tried the the knowledge thing. Now I'm just going to go pleasure seeking. I am just going to go for it. Whatever I desire, I'm gonna. Embrace. That's what he says. So he goes, I said to myself, come now. I will test you. He's talking to himself. He goes, I'm going to test myself with pleasure. I'm going to find out what's good. But it proved to be meaningless. I tried cheering myself with wine, embracing folly. So he decides to go for it. He, he creates this experience in extreme excess. And here's the thing. He's the king. So he can do what he wants to do. And he's got the resources to pull it off. So he just Goes for it. And he tries cheering himself with wine. He discovers quickly that there's not an F alcohol in the world to bring you what your soul longs for. And he embraces other things too. Look at this. Uh, chapter 2, verse 4. He says, I undertook great projects. All right? I'm, I'm going I'm to try to accomplish great things. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. These are plural, as if one house isn't enough. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build houses. I'm going to do vineyards. Going on with uh, verse 5, I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves that were born in my house. So he had people he could just order around. Back then, the slavery was a little different and well, it was a lot different in this context than some of what we're used to. But you know, still, you could, you could boss them around. You, he had people. I need the batteries changed in my remote. You do that. I need my car washed every day. You do that. I, I, I want a sandwich. You make it from scratch. You know, there's people on call for him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they can't say no because he's the king. So I've got all this. He goes on. He, he says, I own more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasure of kings and provinces. Elsewhere in the scripture, um, he says how much gold was coming in. He had 666 talents of gold coming in each year. So just in the gold part of his portfolio, he had 50,000 pounds of gold coming in. Oh my, $1.25 billion every year coming into his his accounts just from the gold, not anything else. So he's got the wealth. He goes, I acquired male and female singers. This guy didn't just get the best tickets at the best seats for the best show. He buys the band. He buys the band. So he he does that. And then this one, I acquired a harem as well. It was a sizable harem. 700 wives and 300 additional woman, women who were on call for him and only him. That's a harem. And then so he says this, Ecclesiastes 2. He's only two chapters into this experiment. He says, uh, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. He's the A-lister, and there is no B or C. Everyone else is a D-lister, if there is such a thing paparazzi followed one guy, it was him. Solomon was always, and we talked about this at camp with the middle school, he was always the smartest person in the room. He was always the most popular person in the room. He was always the most powerful person in the room. He was always the wealthiest person in the room, and he was the Mac Daddy of all Mac Daddies. He had all the things that a lot of people say they want or think they want. He had them. He went down that path. He was the king. If he didn't like a rule, what could he do? He could change the rule. If he wanted something, if they wouldn't sell it to him, what could he do? He could take it. So he denied himself nothing. Here we go. Ecclesiastes 2.10. This is not me saying here's what he says. This is what he says. I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart. What? No pleasure. He went for it. He went for it. He tried this, and how did it work out for him? Not so well. His entire pleasure-seeking experiment was a bust. He didn't find contentment in this. He went further down the road of pleasure-seeking than anyone before, and I can't think of anyone since. And here's what he writes about the experience. These are his words. He says, I surveyed all that my hands had done, all those accomplishments, and what I toiled to achieve, all those pleasures I wanted, and everything was meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. You know, Almost there, almost caught it. Almost caught it. Almost caught it. But it's always out there in front of you. It's like chasing the wind. Nothing was gained. His attempt to personify debauchery did accomplish one thing. He proved contentment is fleeting. You can have it for a moment, maybe a little longer moment, but it's fleeting. You can chase after these things, but it's like chasing after the wind. There can never be enough knowledge. There can never be enough wine. There can never be enough possessions. There can never be enough accomplishments. There can never be enough romance. There can never be enough power. There can never be enough servants think that that goal is always just uh, just a little further but it's like chasing the wind you know in this world he would argue contentment is fleeting I tried it I I went as far as you can go it's fleeting contentment is fleeting and the lesson that he learned could save us decades possibly of chasing after the things he chased after you know I, I sometimes just get frustrated when I hear people say And usually they're younger and they go, oh, experience is the best teacher. I have to experience these things for myself if I'm going to discover whatever. It's like, okay, if I took a hammer right now and I smashed my thumb and I said, that really hurt. You could take that hammer and smash your thumb and discover for yourself. Or you could be wise and say, you know what? I'm going to learn from the mistakes of somebody else rather than experiencing myself. Just a thought, just a thought. All right, more than just a thought. There is something behind that. All right, so here's, here's okay, so that's one lesson, all right? One lesson, he says, contentment, it's, it's fleeting. You can chase after these things, but trust me, I've, I've, I've had all that, and it's not all that. But there's another lesson, too, that he gets into, and we won't be able to go into this one with great detail, so I'll have to summarize it quick. But he basically says, not only can you not take it with you, not only is it, is it not as fulfilling as you might think, but this whole idea of legacy, you can't only not take it with you. You can't guarantee that it's going to go where you want it to go. He, these are his words out of Ecclesiastes 2, 18 through 23. Take a look at this. He goes, I hated all things that I had toiled for under the sun, all these accomplishments, because now I've got to leave them to the one who comes after me. Who knows? Is that person going to be wise or they going to be Foolish. Yet they will have control over all of the fruit of my toil into which I poured my effort, I poured my skill under the sun. This is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, with knowledge, with skill, and then they got to turn it over to some yahoo who hasn't toiled for it. This too is meaningless. This too is meaningless. It is great misfortune. What do people get for their toil? Their anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. And even at night, their minds don't rest. Hey, that is meaningless. You can't take it with you. And there's no guarantees that when you leave it behind, that they're going to take it and, and do something good with it. You can pour yourself into a business or a department. You can build it up and then you leave. It may or may not continue to grow from there. You can pour hundreds of hours, thousands of dollars into creating a house just the way you want it. And then you leave and someone looks at that and go, why did they put a wall there? You know, why? Why did they paint it this color? So all your work, you know, to make this thing look just right. Meaningless. You know, you can you can work so hard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get an inheritance. I'm going to build up an inheritance. I'm going to leave this legacy. And then you get sick in the later years of your life, and it's gone, or you trust it to people, and then they squander it real quickly. And you're like, what? My whole life, I did that for this. Meaningless, he says. You can pour your life into people. Maybe some of you have. You pour your heart into people. You pour your life into people, and you look, oh, they're just going the right way, and then, or the opposite. You think I'm not doing anything to impact their life, and then their life takes off. Meaningless, he says. Please take a right moment to write this down. Here's the summary of what we've been talking about so far. In this world, contentment is fleeting, and control is an illusion. With the qualifier, if you don't if you ignore what Solomon says. If you ignore what Solomon says, maybe that's a better way to say it. If you ignore what Solomon says. Your contentment will be fleeting. Your ideas of control will be an illusion. He's not just warning us about the fleeting nature of material contentment. He's warning us about this illusion of control. Sometimes you could do everything right. You can be self-disciplined. You can be morally decent. You can be generous. And really, really bad things can still happen to you. Solomon himself Again, he admonishes us. He's not disrespecting wisdom. He admonishes in Proverbs. He says, work hard, make wise choices. Hard work and wise choices generally lead to better things than laziness and foolish choices. But not always. Not always. Sometimes the righteous experience hardship. Sometimes foolish and corrupt people appear to thrive. And even those even those who set out to live God-entering lives will find themselves in dark valleys. And sometimes they're dark valleys that seem to deny ex- explanation. I've been reading a great book. Um, I'll be recommending this, especially in week four of this series. It's called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, Tim Keller best book I've ever read on the subject of pain and suffering but he's got so much other good stuff in there too including he, he, he presses into the life of a woman named Elizabeth Elliot a little bit and, and boy what a testimony she's got she was a young missionary in South America who committed her life to sharing what she knew to be true about God with others who didn't know these things in other countries especially those who didn't speak English well some of the things that she experienced herself they would cause other people to lose their faith for her, it ended up strengthening hers. In, in one location where she was working, and she was just a young woman at the time, her translator, the key person, the person that would help her translate the truth about God into the language of the people, that person was senselessly murdered, shot and killed. And she's like, God, how would you let this happen? This guy's the key. At another location, there was a flood. Flood comes in, catches them by surprise. God, why couldn't you have warned us or protected us from that? Wiped out their stuff? There was another time thieves broke in, and the thieves stole all their files. Years and years of work. Years and years of translating. All of this, gone. It didn't even make sense why a thief would steal files. It's gone. And there's no, oh, here's what worked out in the end. They were just gone. All that work, gone. And then after all this... She met and married a wonderful Christian man named Jim who died on the end of a spear along with four other men who were trying to reach out to an unreached tribe in the Amazon rainforest. And here's what she writes. Listen, these are her words, and this is from a novel. She, she created this novel that, that followed kind of roughly some of the things she experienced herself. But look at this. The, the novel looked hopeless. In fact, there were Christian publishers. They would not publish this novel because it looked like, wait a minute, where's the happy ending, right? Don't, if we if we pray, then here comes the happy ending. She said, this is, this is the whole point of my novel. She goes, if this line here, God, if he was merely my accomplice, had betrayed me. If, on the other hand, he's really God, then he freed me. That's depth. No, some might be thinking, ah, that's naive. She is just clinging to a hope, even though the hope is flying in the face of reality. This is not life. How can you trust a God who would let these things happen to you? There, That's the temptation, but she didn't, she fought through that and she actually, what she's saying